That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with the emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. And I was staying with friends one mile from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when the nuclear accident happened. That's why I produce and post this podcast, because I know firsthand that whether you can hear the sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, November 29th, 2011, day 263 since Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. I have a great interview coming up in about 10 minutes with Steve Zeltzer, who's the organizer of a uh, conference that's taking place on Fukushima and the media and the lessons. Uh, but before we get to the interview with Steve, here is the latest nuclear news. In Japan, on the 23rd of November there, uh, a strong earthquake struck, a 5.9 magnitude, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. It was... 101 kilometers, about 62 miles east of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant at a depth of 23 miles. Uh, there was no warning of a tsunami. There was no need for a tsunami alert at that point, but it does raise concern because there is the precarious nature of the fuel pond uh, at the, over Reactor 4 at Fukushima, which is always in danger of crumbling and releasing more radiation. The region of the quake lies on the Ring of Fire, an arc of earthquake and volcanic zones that stretches around the Pacific Rim. About 90% of the world's quakes occur in that region. Now, some good news from Japan, and that is that uh, Unit 2 of the Kansai Electric Power Company's uh, Takahama nuclear power plant has been shut down for periodic inspection, which is what all plants in Japan have to do. With that shutdown, less than 20% of Japan's nuclear generating capacity is now in operation. The country is still not going through rolling blackouts or any of the disasters that were predicted. And if Japan stays on schedule to keep tur turning off the nuclear reactors that are up for periodic inspection, by the end of April, there will be no nuclear generating stations in operation in Japan. It will be nuclear-free. We'll keep our eye on that. Now, a government agency, the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency, together with a panel of experts, are investigating how the aging of facilities factored into the accident that struck the Fukushima nuclear power plant in March. More than one-third of all reactors in Japan, including those in Fukushima, began their operations more than 30 years ago. That is also true for virtually every nuclear power plant in the United States. Now, the experts reported that steel used for a 36-year-old reactor in the Genkai nuclear plant in southwestern Japan has become weaker than estimated. Uh, some members said that to win local approval to continue operating the reactor, uh, they have to determine why this happened uh, as soon as possible. Of course, the fact that it's been bombarded by radiation for 36 years does have something to do with it. It's a problem that is referred to as embrittlement, an important word for all of us to know. Uh, this story leads into uh, a reminder about a very important story that the Associated Press put together that broke on June 20th, and that was that uh, they determined that as nuclear plants age, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is loosening safety regulations. Uh, this was a report by reporter Jeff Dunn. 
And uh, a link is up on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page. But just to remind you of this story, which we covered once before, federal regulators have been working closely with the nuclear power industry to keep the nation's aging reactors operating within safety standards by repeatedly weakening those standards or simply failing to enforce them, according to AP's investigation. Time after time, officials at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission have decided that original regulations were too strict, arguing that safety margins could be eased without peril, according to records and interviews. The result? Rising fears that these accommodations by the NRC are significantly undermining safety and inching the reactors closer to an accident that could harm the public and jeopardize the future of nuclear power in the United States. Personally, I would like to jeopardize the future of nuclear power in the United States by getting rid of it completely. Many of the problems linked to aging, and this is well known, but not a single official body in government or industry has studied the, studied the overall frequency and potential impact on safety of such breakdowns in recent years, even as the NRC has extended the licenses of dozens of reactors. And records show a recurring problem. Reactor parts or systems fall out of compliance with the rules. Studies are conducted by the industry and the government, and all agree that existing standards are unnecessarily conservative. Regulations are loosened and the reactors are back in compliance. Kind of like what happened with the uh, mortgage industry. They just started cooking the books and changing the numbers only. These cooked books can cook us. As I said, a link to that AP story is posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page. Now, uh, the NHK, which is uh, the um, uh, network in Japan, the television network in Japan, has obtained Tokyo Electric Power Company's TEPCO's interim report on the accident at Fukushima. And the company concluded in the report that there was no explosion at the number two reactor and that a blast at the number four reactor was mistakenly believed to occur at number two. Yet a Tokyo professor on NHK said that breach of containment at reactor two was extremely grave and he called for an investigation because there was much more prominent radiation spike after the trouble at number two. Yet TEPCO now says that no explosion happened at number two. Uh, this falls into the category liar, liar, pants on fire. We have that regularly coming from TEPCO and the Japanese government. Now, this story that the director of Japan's Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant is stepping down because of illness. This is what TEPCO said. And this was without revealing whether his condition was related to radiation. Masao Yoshida, 56 years old, has been hospitalized and will be relieved of his post this Thursday, December 1st. Uh, according to TEPCO, the doctors had made no mention of a relationship between his illness and radiation. And Mr. Yoshida's message to workers at the plant, which was released the other day, is, quote, a condition was discovered during a regular medical check the other day. I had no choice but to be hospitalized at very short notice for treatment under doctor's advice, end quote. We'll be interested in seeing what happens with that. Meanwhile, in a story that is a story that isn't a story that is a story that isn't a story, uh, Fukushima Diary and uh, Mokizuchi there reported that a Mr. Abe Hirota, who was only 23 years old, died from acute lymphocytic leukemia. Now, this is someone who wrote columns for the fishing magazine Rod and Reel, and he's featured in the upcoming January issue, which is uh, actually on sale now. Now, the question is, according to Mokuzuchi, uh, this individual was supporting Fukushima by eating Fukushima fish that he was catching within the 30-kilometer area of the uh, nuclear uh, power generating station. Uh, 
He was eating fish from both rivers and the oceans. The next day a report came out that said, no, 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 this person had nothing to do, he wasn't living in Fukushima, he had nothing to do with that, it was fish. That wasn't coming from Okazuchi, that was coming from other sources. Now, whether this is a true story or whether this is an attempt to undermine a true story, uh, we don't yet know, but I thought it was interesting enough to see the battle that's going on to um, at least confuse information or possibly suppress information uh, coming out of Japan. It's hard to get the story, but I like getting it from people who are on the ground, such as Mokuzuchi. Now, Japan Television dug up a report uh, that they broadcast in 1993 entitled, What Happened to Chernobyl Children Seven Years After the Accident? And in this, and this is pertinent because of what's happening to the children who are still in Fukushima and who were there in the early days as well, uh, it was broadcast on Nippon TV seven years after the accident, approximately 1993. One of the principals in this was a Ruichi Hirokawa, who's a photojournalist, and he said, I went there to see with my own eyes what actually happens to the health of the residents. Truly terrible things emerged several years after the accident. Radioactive materials that have accumulated 20 centimeters below the soil surface are absorbed through the roots of plants and accumulated in the bodies of humans and animals. The incubation period for radiation damages is ending, and they have started to attack people in the forms of leukemia and thyroid cancer. I visited this hospital, which is the Minsk Center for Pediatric Blood Diseases, last year, too. I visited the hospital last year, too, and filmed the inpatient children. But this time, I wasn't able to see any of them. Most of them have passed away. According to the uh, vice chief for Hoaniki Central Hospital, in five to eight years of the accident, there's an increase in thyroid cancer, then breast cancer will follow, then bone cancer. This is how an increase in cancer will occur. We are in the stage of increase in thyroid cancer. This was in Chernobyl seven years afterwards. Thyroid cancer is supposed to be an adult disease. The rate of children getting it is said to be one in 500,000. Yet in areas around Chernobyl, there has been an explosive increase in pediatric thyroid cancer since four years after the accident. Uh, the increase is 7,800 times more than the average incidence rate. Also in the same uh, television program uh, stated that, they're referring to three years before, which was in 1990, the International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, their research mission, visited the contaminated area around Chernobyl. The local people believed a fair research would be done because the IAEA is an agency of the United Nations and a medical scientist from Hiroshima would lead the research. Dr. Shigematsu, who is Japanese and who headed that research, he was chairman of the mission. He announced there is no health, there are no health damages among the residents. That's the end of his quote. Yet, according to local doctors, the mission members didn't enter the heavily contaminated areas. They brought their food, which was sourced from far away, and didn't eat anything local. Still, they declared it safe. That was after Chernobyl. And we can expect much the same kind of action to be happening uh, in the wake of Fukushima to the families and especially the children who are still there. 
The media is really important in getting us our information and in allowing us to disseminate our information uh, in a way that is fair, accurate, and unbiased. And uh, in the hope of promoting more of this, I'm delighted to be interviewing our guest today. Steve Zeltzer is a journalist and filmmaker. He's the founder of the Labor Video Project and has producing the, been producing video documentaries on labor issues since 1983. Some, such as Halfway to Hell, the worker and unions that built the Golden Gate Bridge, which was narrated by Danny Glover, appeared on PB, PBC and KQED in San Francisco. Excuse me, on PBS. That was a typo on my part. And KQED in San Francisco. Steve is the organizer of this Saturday's conference, which is going to take place in San Francisco on Fukushima, the lessons of nuclear power and the media. Steve, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Steve, are you there? Yeah, thank you very much, and I appreciated the uh, uh, overview you gave of, of what's going on in Fukushima. That was very valuable. Thank you. Uh, that's part of what we do here on the program every week. But let's talk about what's going on right here, State of California, media conference that you're putting together. What motivated you to create this conference? Well, one of the serious concerns that uh, I have and you know, about what uh, people, information people are getting is a lack of serious information. Um, and I was in uh, Japan for three weeks doing, uh, working on a documentary on Fukushima, and I discovered that the people in Japan are not getting information about the serious dangers of uh, the cesium and radioactive releases, but also in the United States there's been a virtual blackout um, of information about the continuing uh, radioactive problems, not only in Japan, but the two nuclear plants we have in California, Diablo Canyon and San Onofre. And uh, I, mo most people are unaware that the uh, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, which owns the, uh, um, uh, uh, the Diablo Canyon plant, and Southern California Edison, which owns the uh, San Onofre plant, have also applied for over, <coughs> over $160 million in ratepayer funds to relicense and do seismic studies for those two plants. They want to keep them operating, even though, as you say in your report, their pipes have become very brittle. They've been in operation for many decades now. So, so how, uh, does this, how does this impact um, your decision to do a conference that specifically seems to be focused on the media perspective on this? Well, we have to examine... Uh, the history of uh, nuclear power, nuclear weapons, and in the context of uh, the disaster in Fukushima and where we're at today. And because the lack of knowledge and information that's being provided by the media uh, is a, a serious concern for those people who want to be educated about what's going on. And the reason, one of the main reasons, and I found this out as well in Japan, is that these privately owned utilities, which are supported by the government, uh, government officials who have been appointed who are pro-industry, uh, actually uh, spend a lot of money in advertising budgets, both on, in newspapers and televisions. So the televisions and the newspaper industry in California are not going to have in-depth studies. I was... Uh, surprisingly uh, surprised that when I went down to cover an NRC hearing at the San Onofre plant, it was held in San Clemente uh, with the NRC, uh, there was virtually no coverage, no TV in Southern California for a hearing by the NRC on the lessons of uh, that plant in light of uh, Fukushima. 
I was at that I was at that same hearing and um, noted that as well. There were a lot of cameras, but it seemed that most of them were either from the city of San Clemente because they record and they have their own channel for that, or it was our people documenting it. Exactly. So how could that be that a major environmental story, a major public health story, a major issue that would affect millions of people, uh, and including uh, the agricultural products uh, produce in the United States, Imperial Valley, because if there was an explosion at that plant, it would contaminate, uh, because of the wind pattern, uh, the Imperial Valley, which provides a large amount of the food for the United States, uh, vegetables, agricultural food. So uh, the fact that there was no major articles in the L.A. Times, the fact that there was no major television coverage, uh, is a very serious concern. I mean, wh- why are these companies covering it up, and are they doing a disservice to the people of California in this country that, that basic issues uh, such as the danger uh, of uh, health and safety of these plants and contamination are not brought to the public's attention. So in order to rectify that and look at that uh, in a systemic way, we uh, organized this conference. It's No Nukes Action Committee, which took the initiative, which uh, formed out of uh, what happened in Fukushima. And we have a coalition of organizations and groups uh, throughout California who are going to be meeting the following day to organize a, an education political campaign and, and to strengthen the work that is being done to stop these plants uh, from operating and to educate the public. Great. Now, let's roll this back to the conference itself. Um, Who's going to be presenting there, and what is the focus of the information they're going to be presenting? Well, uh, one of the presenters, and we're going to do a a video that we're going to be presenting. So it's it's all going to be recorded so that people will have have remote access to it. Actually, also, we're going to be streaming it. Oh, fabulous. You're going to give me that information so I can post it. Yes, uh, and, you know, a keynote speaker is going to be Anthony J. Hall, who's written a document called From Hiroshima to uh, 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 Fukushima uh, about the introduction of uh, uh, nuclear power into Japan. After Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there was obviously a tremendous amount of opposition mm-hmm. to nuclear uh, uh, material being brought into Japan, and there was a political propaganda campaign by General Electric and by the U.S. government to coerce and pressurize the Japanese people that uh, nuclear power uh, was a safe energy form for the people of Japan. And they were lied to. uh, People were put in government positions. In fact, uh, a right-winger who was in favor of nuclear power was given a license for one of the large TV networks in Japan. So Anthony Hall has written a a very valuable document. He'll be speaking about that. And also uh, Andrew Phillips, who is uh, presently the manager of KPFA, is going to talk about his uh, experience. He worked for the Australian Broadcasting Company and Wilfred Burchett, who actually uh, was in Japan, uh, was in Asia, covering uh, the uh, dropping of the nuclear bomb. And he, uh, instead of just waiting on an aircraft carrier or a ship, he actually went to uh, Hiroshima and reported back that uh, people were losing their hair, and he called it the atomic disease. Now it turns out that uh, there was a reporter from the New York Times who was basically employed by the military and the New York Times at the same time, who put out a report in the New York Times that there was no radioactive uh, material released after Hiroshima. This was put out in the New York Times. How recently so was that? These are <laughs> so this is, these are some examples of the kind of uh, political manipulation and basic uh, propaganda by the industry, uh, by governments, to cover up the dangers of these uh, 
uh, materials to the people of Japan and the people of the world. Okay, so I, what I'd like to do is shift the conversation a little bit now, because um, as you're probably undoubtedly aware, uh, we have an initiative that is being proposed to be put on the ballot on no- next November in 2012 uh, that will call for nuclear power plants here in the state of California to be uh, to be brought up to the same safety standards that are mandated for any new nuclear power plants, which in effect would shut them down because it's just it, economically it's just not feasible for it to be done. So it's a backdoor way of shutting it down. Yet upon the first sign of this proposition, be, excuse me, this initiative being there, uh, quite frankly, our side has been slammed in the media across the board. It's like bloggers, PR messages, the other side was just geared up and foaming at the mouth waiting to get to us. And um, it was kind of shocking to see and also to see how programmed some of it was. In light of that, what, if any, planning is going to be done at this conference in terms of brainstorming with all these great media minds you're bringing together. What kind of brainstorming will be taking place to come up with strategies and content that we can use in combating what the other side is already geared up to do against us? Well, we, there are a couple of things to that. First of all, uh, we have to answer the charges, and a main charge is that there will be blackouts in California if these plants are closed down. And Barbara... Uh, uh, George, with uh, Marin Clean Energy, is one of the speakers. We'll be talking about the fact that these plants can be closed down and, and there wouldn't be blackouts. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in Japan, a lot, most of the plants have been closed down, and they're not major blackouts in Japan. Uh, that's number one. So the industry is putting out lies that California can't survive without these two plants operating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's number one. Number two is we have to really talk about the industry control of the California Public Utility Commission. Because you, if you look at California, there is an energy crisis in California and, and the country. Why is it in California that there's not a requirement in the law that all new construction has solar in it? You would think that when they piss and moan about the lack of energy and the crisis in energy, they don't have a requirement that all new construction have solar? There are many alternative forms of uh, energy that could be brought into bearing in California, but the industry is not interested in that because they make profit from these plants, and the industry makes profit from these uh, these uh, uh, nuclear plants. And then they yeah. take their profits and they buy off the politicians by donating That's to right. their, their campaigns, which allows yeah, them to keep the control and keep the regulatory right. support that they need exactly. to keep doing what they're doing. Exactly. It's a cycle, and it's a sick cycle that's destroying the world, frankly because we can't afford another Fukushima. The people of Japan now are going to be suffering, as you pointed out correctly, for decades. Their families are destroyed. Their lives are destroyed. Beyond that, I mean, cesium has got a half-life of 30 years, and you multiply that times 10 because you need 10 half-life cycles to get it to inert. That's 300 years. That's just cesium. That's not talking about plutonium. And and the people of Japan were, were, you know, to have gone through nuclear bombing twice, and then to have this Fukushima on a small island where there's no place to go, really, for mm-hmm. the people of Japan uh, is an outrage. It's a crime. And the people here who are propagating that we don't have anything to worry about. Uh, now, uh, another thing that, that has happened, and, and people in California should be very much aware of it in this country, is at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission after Fukushima, there was a hearing on, on Fukushima. And one of the commissioners, to the chagrin of the others, he's kind of made it as a joke. He said, are there any... Um, guidelines or rules uh, for a, uh, a geographic disaster like Fukushima where the power goes out for long periods of time and, and you don't have power to, 
to keep pumping in water to cool down the rods. And they were laughing about it, but they said, no, we don't have any guidelines. We don't have any rules. So he said, well, doesn't that mean we should shut down these plants in the United States? And they laughed again. So the reality is these plants really should be shut down. There are no rules for running them in a case of a Fukushima-type disaster. And this is the case with uh, San Onofre and Diablo Canyon. It's criminal incompetence, and basically uh, these plants need to be immediately shut down because they have no plan if there was a, a circumstance like that happening. And that's a requirement of the law, that there has to be a plan, but there isn't a plan. But because the industry controls the government, because the industry controls the California Public Utility Commission and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, they get away with this. Well, they've gotten away with it so far. I want to shift language on this. I'm a coach, and they may have gotten away with it in the past. Well, we're going to change that. Thank you. People people don't know that, and that's what we're going to say. You're not going to get away with it. It's criminal. And in addition to that, I've learned in going down to San Onofre that, in fact, workers, not only there but at other plants, have made health and safety complaints, inspectors, and they've been harassed, they've been fired, they've been intimidated, Mm -hmm. which is a crime as well. And what kind of protection do we have for our health and safety at these nuclear plants when people who are in charge of inspecting them themselves are intimidated, harassed, and, and nothing happens to the companies? No company's executives have been put in jail for harassing and intimidating a safety inspector. It should be a felony. They should go for, to jail for 20 or 30 years because they're not only putting the inspector in that plant in jeopardy, they're putting millions of people in jeopardy. Right. Uh, the, the, lax, the laxity of rules, they get away with murder, basically. Well, they get away with potential murder or, or attempted murder, no, and, you know, which, which might be a legal way of doing it. I just, I'd like to get a whole cadre of lawyers in the same room and go, okay, brainstorm. How can we make their lives miserable? Well, I think, first of all, politically, we have to educate the people that this is going on. Most people are unaware. Uh, I would say a lot of people are unaware that there are even nuclear plants in California. There are a lot of people that are unaware that they're on uh, earthquake faults. There are a lot of people who are unaware that, that they want the ratepayer in California to subsidize the relicensing and seismic studies for these plants. Uh, why should the people of California pay for that when these plants are dangerous and they need to be shut down? And also while their operators are, are reaping such incredible, you know, financial remuneration for, ha- for keeping these dangerous things going. Let, let's hit a pause button. Let's find out, is there anybody on the call who has a question of uh, Steve Zeltzer, who's obviously just as passionate on this issue as I am? going to give you one more shot. <laughs> they tend to clam up and get very quiet, and uh, many people listen to this on download later, so so I, I can hear them thinking their questions. Maybe we'll just have, have to have some, some way for them to post them. That's that's not a problem. We're also going to have speakers from Japan. We're going to be Skyping in some speakers from Japan, and we're going to be talking at the end of the conference. It's going to be at San Francisco State University, December the 3rd, Saturday, December the 3rd, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., at the end of the conference at 4 p.m., we're going to have a panel on what we can do, proposals coming out of the conference to take forward the effort to educate and organize. And they're, t- they're, the, they're hoping that this initiative won't get on the ballot. It requires about 600,000 signatures, six 700,000 signatures. So if people are interested in this, they can go to the Secretary of State's website. And uh, Ben Davis, Jr. is the author of it, and he was able to get an initiative uh, on the ballot in Sacramento that closed down the Rancho Seco nuclear plant, which right. is part of the Sacramento Municipal District. We interviewed so Ben on last week's program. So I, I think that we can get on the ballot, and we have to tie it to what is going on in California and the United States, this Occupy movement of young people, yes. of 
of uh, of youth, of unemployed, of students. Uh, why is all this money going for nuclear power when we could use it for education, when we could use the resources to, to really build, rebuild California, uh, put people to work on useful and uh, sustaining kind of uh, economic projects? Instead, we're throwing money to Bechtel, to General Electric, to these big companies to make more profits for themselves and in the course of that endangering the public in California and nationally. And most people are completely unaware of that, and it has been kept out of the newspapers if you you know, say after this NRC hearing, you'd think it would have been in all the newspapers of California that the NRC had come here to San Onofre to investigate what the situation was with the nuclear plants. Not a word. Well, we're going to do what we can to turn that around because as now that we see what the truth of the matter is, we can start taking the actions that are necessary to get the word out. And I'm certain, it's certainly my intention, I will be up there for the conference. And uh, it is my intention while I am there, besides nabbing as many guests as I can to uh, interview for future nuclear hot seats, also putting my brain to work to see what kind of strategies, what kind of wording, what we can do to start utilizing the Internet much more powerfully than it has been used already to uh, get our word out. And not just to, not just, you know, speaking to the choir, but, um, getting it out to the people who perhaps haven't had a chance to know about the information and why it's so dangerous. Well, TEPCO, the Tokyo Public Energy Electric Company, like uh, Southern California Edison and PG&E, have a long history uh violating the law of covering up criminal cover-ups of the operation of their plants, of intimidating workers, and, uh, we need to expose that, and we need to hold these people liable for what they've been doing. Uh, it's, it's, we're going to be having a uh, press conference and protest at the California Public Utility Commission on Friday, uh, December the 2nd at noon at Van Ness and McAllister. And we're at that, we're going to be demanding not one more penny uh, for San, uh, San Onofre and Diablo Canyon. The people of California, the ratepayers, should not be paying a penny more. So between now and then, talk with every blogger, every newspaper, it, it, no matter how small and how local it happens to be, so you have some chance of the word getting out. And then we'll hear the report on, on how that went on the 3rd when we actually have the conference. Now, would you please, Steve, just repeat for us where it's taking place and how we can attend. Okay, it's going to be at San Francisco State University, 1600 Holloway Avenue in San Francisco, and Burke Hall, room 28. Uh, lunch will be provided. Please contact, uh, call us for registration if you can make it, 415-867-0628. It will be on Saturday, December the 3rd from 10 to 4 p.m. Uh, you can find out the complete agenda and all the speakers at uh, nonukesaction.wordpress.com. Okay, say that again slowly. No nukes, that's plural. No nukes action. Action dot wordpress dot com. Okay. And would you please keep us up to date on um, on what's going on? Oh, and the streaming. That's what I wanted to get. How can people access the streaming video? If you go to that website, we will have a link to the stream. And so if you go to no nukes action, wordpress dot com, dot wordpress dot com, there will be a link to the streaming. We will also be uh, streaming the uh, segments later, so you will be able to go to the website and actually get the information. What we have to do is develop some resources and, as you say, use the Internet, use the communication tools that we have to get the information out. Also, KPFA uh, is going to be sponsoring this, and 
we will be working on for them to get it out to to the listeners as well. And in California, we have KPFA and KPFK in Los Angeles, so there's a potential of doing a statewide program on energy, the energy crisis, and nuclear power, and bringing the, all the people of California together to have this kind of discussion. Uh, about the future of energy in California and what we can do to protect ourselves. And in our view, that means public power. It means taking away the control of the energy industry from mm-hmm. private companies and mm-hmm. profiteers. Well Steve, well, Steve, thank you very much for having been the guest today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Uh, you've been a wealth of information, and uh, I will do what I can to continue to get the word out about the um, uh, about the conference this weekend. And um, meanwhile, I invite you to stick around because there's a whole bunch more that I share for the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much for having been the guest. Very good. Thank you, Libby. Now, here's a nice piece from the media uh, that appeared in the, in the um, Christian Science Monitor. Actually, this appeared yesterday, November 28th, under the headline, Fukushima Fallout, Time to Quit Nuclear Power Altogether. Now, this is important because the Christian Science Monitor is a very conservative publication. So this is an extraordinary thing for them to say. And uh, this was an article by Lester R. Brown and Yule Choi. Uh, it reads, experience in northern Japan illustrates that even incremental investment in nuclear power threatens human civilization. Nuclear power simply isn't economical when you factor the impact of indirect expenses and fees and thus can't compete in an open, can't, I want a T on the end of that, can't compete in an open, unsubsidized market for electricity. More often than not, in fact, taxpayers are forced to foot the bill for radioactive waste disposal and storage. Costs for insurance coverage of nuclear energy facilities have become astronomical, and costs to shutter a nuclear plant after it has passed its life expectancy is nearly equal the construction costs of building the plant in the first place. Our experience in northern Japan illustrates that even incremental investment in nuclear power threatens the very existence of human civilization as we know it. The Fukushima disaster should once and for all drive global society firmly down a nuclear-free energy path. This from uh, yesterday's uh, Christian Science Monitor. Monitor. Um, uh, this report that the U.S. Energy Department may not have adequately responded to safety questions and allegations of retaliation against whistleblowers at a nuclear waste treatment plant in Washington State. This according to Massachusetts Democratic Representative Edward Markey, who has been uh, very much on our side in terms of trying to get legislation passed to make nu- force nuclear plants to live up to their own safety standards. Now, they said the U.S. Department, he said, the U.S. Department of Energy hasn't strengthened the safety culture of the department's Hanford site. Uh, he wrote that in a seven-page letter on November 22nd to Energy Secretary Stephen Chu. Nine nuclear reactors and processing facilities produced plutonium at Hanford, which operated from 1944 to 1987. Workers are still trying to clean up millions of gallons of toxic waste at that complex. The, nuclear Defe- the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board, an independent organization in the executive branch that advises the President and the Energy Secretary, issued a June 9 report criticizing the handling of the case by the Energy Department and its contractors, Markey told, uh, said in the letter. Now, according to Walt 
Thomas Sidus, who is a research manager at the treatment plant at Hanford, uh, he was demoted after alerting the, alerting the energy department contractors in 2010 about his concerns that improper treatment of high-level waste might cause plutonium to settle and hydrogen gas bubbles might form, leading to an explosion. Again, this was all in Markey's letter. The agency, quote, seems to be more interested in paying contractor fees than in paying attention to safety concerns or to those who are disciplined for raising them, Markey said. He asked Chu to provide answers by December 16 about the forecast cost of the treatment plant and steps the department took to investigate and resolve issues raised by the Defense Nuclear Safety Board. Now, one wonders about uh, the president's pro vehemently pro-nuclear stance, but as was reported uh, today by the ANE News staff, um, this is revealed that uh, Obama's chief political strategist in 208, a man named David Axelrod, worked for Exelon, the largest nuclear plant owner in the United States. Further, uh, one of the major donors, if not the top donor to Obama's campaign, was John W. Rowe, R-O-W-E, who is chairman of Exelon and also chairman of the Nuclear Energy Institute, the nuclear power industry's lobbying group, which is based in Washington. All of this is according to a 208, excuse me, 2008 New York Times article, which I have posted on today, today on the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook site. So please go there and scroll down, and you will find it. Now, a couple of things about languaging that have been brought to my attention, that there's a word that is being tossed around now that has been invented by the International Atomic Energy Agency. That term is radiophobia. And it is a term that is used to discount anyone who is afraid of radiation, which is a logical response to being exposed to radiation. In other words, it's trying to make a sane response seem ridiculous and insane and to be discounted. It's an aspect of blaming the victim. Um, at the Chernobyl IAEA forum, the term radiophobia was invented and used. What's worse, the IAEA is going public these days with statements ridiculing the so-called quote-unquote radiophobia of the population of Japan and calling for an end of aid programs, which only serve, according to them, to instill a victim mentality in a totally healthy population, a claim not only cynical but potentially dangerous for the health of the affected population. And by saying that the people of Japan are radiophobic, which is part of what is being said now, it's saying, oh, you don't need to be afraid of radiation, and it's ridiculous for you to be so. Yet, as our earlier story about the television program made seven years after Chernobyl shows, there is a lot to be afraid of that is very real about radiation. So if you hear this word used, will you please slap that person upside the head and try and get them to think a little bit more sanely because, quite frankly, radiation equals cancer. And that's what we're all facing, cancer. So I always like to include uh, a holistic piece of information so that we can take charge of our healing and so that even if we are exposed to radiation, um, even if our bodies start to develop cancer, we can build our immune systems and find ways of fighting off the long-lasting effects. Today I want to focus on two superfoods that are both blue-green allergies, chlorella and spirulina. Now these are in powdered form and they were both used by the Institute of Radiation Medicine in Russia to enhance immune systems and normalize blood chemistry after Chernobyl. 
both of these are powerful heavy metal detoxification uh, agents, and they protect against radioactivity by binding heavy metals that are in the body. They are very nourishing. They're going to give your brain a boost. Um, and they don't taste bad. They're kind of neutral tasting. So you can blend them into a smoothie or into yogurt. Uh, it's going to turn everything a very deep, dark green, almost a black color. Don't worry. It's not a bad thing. That just shows how potent it is. And um, a rounded teaspoon a day in a smoothie will just help everything work better in your body and help you resist any effects for uh, radiation contamination, which unfortunately is something that we are all here on planet Earth facing in ever-increasing amounts. Now, on the activist front, uh, in Japan, there has been ongoing uh, there have been ongoing demonstrations, which are phenomenal in a country that is known for its citizen compliance. Um, According to Tadao Ito, who acts as a spokesperson for the nuclear protesters outside METI, which stands for the Ministry of Economic Trade and Industry, he is sure that his group of protesters uh, is at more than 1,000 people, and they formed a candlelit human chain around METI on the evening of November 11th, which was the eight-month anniversary of the beginning of the, of the Fukushima crisis. In other parts of the country, people have also been protesting. On November 18, at the site of another nuclear power generating station in the southern island of Kyushu, some 15,000 people demonstrated to call on the government to scrap all of the nation's reactors. I believe that's the uh, demonstration we reported on last week. Anti-nuclear protesters in Japan have an unlikely ally on Masatoshi-san, uh, Japan's ri- richest man. He is a multi-billionaire and CEO of SoftBank, which owns a major mobile phone carrier, 40% of Yahoo Japan, and a championship-winning baseball team. Now, Mr. San is pushing solar energy as a post-Fukushima alternative. He is donating his lifelong future earnings to victims of the Triple March disasters and is planning to build 10 mega-solar plants. He says that such facilities covering 20% of unused agricultural land in Japan could generate as much power as TEPCO. Let's hear it for the 1% doing something for the 99%. This is brilliant behavior. Um, He's a hero. I will label him a nuclear hot seat jellyfish in honor of the jellyfish that shut down three nuclear reactors uh, last April and May because they clogged the intake of the water and, and triggered a shutdown. My feeling being, if spineless jellyfish can shut down a nuclear power plant, what can the rest of us do? He's showing what we can do. We're all doing what we can do. One of the things that I did, um, this piece of information just in, is that the video of my speech at TEDx Pasadena is now up and available on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, you can enter TEDx Pasadena. This is part of the TED Talks platform. TEDx Pasadena, and scroll down. I'm number nine from the top under the title, Creating a 21st Century Manhattan Project for Alternative Energy. Um, this is, speech is the basic telling of my experience of having been at Three Mile Island, and then it moves into Fukushima, into the U.S. US nuclear industry, what's wrong with it, and how we can change over to alternative energy before it is too late. All that in 19 minutes. If you or someone you know 
is curious about this issue, is misinformed about this issue, this is a basic primer that you can provide for them. That was my purpose. There's no copyright on it. Take it. Use it. Spread it as far and as wide as you can. There's a direct link also up on the Facebook page at Nuclear Hot Seat. One final thought, which I just found very amusing. This was posted on ENE News, which is a great source for news. I'm on there just about every day, uh, by someone who posts under the name Ion Jean. And Ion Jean, by the spelling, I believe it's a woman, wrote, the nuclear waste issue is the most logic-defying aspect of this whole matter. It's like the nuclear, this is going to be a little scatological, so if you don't like bad words, put fingers in your ear, but nuclear industry is bad enough, so I'll just go on with this. It's like the nuclear military-industrial complex is your house guest who has worn out his welcome. He shits in your toilet, then breaks the handle trying to flush. A little while later, he needs to go again, so now it is filled up and starting to sink. Sink. Then he's got to go again, but you tell him not to because it can't be flushed. But he tells you not to worry. His brother is good at fixing stuff, and he'll take care of the problem. So in the meantime, he barges right past you and shits some more. This keeps happening, and his brother never shows. Now the shit's running out the door into your carpeted hallway, and this guy says, well, um, I have some paper bags, and I'll just fill them up with all this extra shit, and we'll pile them right here on your nice clean carpet until I can figure out what to do next, etc., etc. We don't want this shit on our planet. We want to get rid of it. Let's all work together and see how we can do that. So doing the nuclear math, this is day 263 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors at Fukushima. They're still leaking radiation there in melt-through, which means if you multiply the number of days by the number of reactors, we've got 789 nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. That's over two years of radiation leakage with the prediction that we are already in China syndrome. That is what melt-through is. And... It's not over yet. This is not under control. So I will keep bringing you the news. And this has been some of it on Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, November 29, 2011. You can find us and links to previous programs by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. Um, there's also NuclearHotSeat.com. I will bring that up to date one of these days. Uh, the Facebook page has got more current information. Uh, we're also up, this podcast is up and available on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free, so you never need to miss a single podcast coming to your inbox. Now, if you've got a lead to a story or information to share, join our growing army of on-the-ground reporters literally around the world. Send me a message on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat page, and I will get back to you. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, Reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, everyone, do not go back to sleep. Be safe, be well. I will talk with you again next week.